Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The Gospel for this weekend is a story that has puzzled many people for many years and has fascinated Christians throughout the centuries. Many people who have tried to preach on it or try to interpret it or understand it have been perplexed. I never forget in my parish as I was growing up as a little boy, our parish priest, whenever he read this gospel story, he would always say, well, Jesus was cranky and he was in a bad mood and that's why he treated this woman that way. Well, I think that's a pretty poor interpretation. The gospel story for this weekend is that classic story of Jesus and his dialogue with this Canaanite woman. Now, this Canaanite woman comes to Jesus, and her daughter is critically ill. And she makes a simple request, a request that hundreds, maybe even thousands of people have asked Jesus for curing. And yet, Jesus, he responds in a different way. Throughout the Gospels, all four of them, Jesus cures people. He cures people when they ask for it. He cures them at random. He even cures a great multitude of people. And yet, there's something different in this story with this woman. Jesus, it seems, he doesn't want to cure this woman's daughter. He refuses her. Or so it seems. Notice how it begins. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity upon me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. That's very odd, isn't that? Typically, Jesus immediately grants the request of anyone who wants to be cured. Look at blind Bartimaeus. He called out in the same way. Son of David, have pity upon me. And immediately, Jesus went over and cured him. Remember a few weeks ago, the story of the multiplication of the loaves? Before Jesus performed that miracle, what was he doing? It said he was curing all the people on that mountainside. Well, Jesus comes, and he comes to heal and to save. And he demonstrates that repeatedly in all four of the Gospels. But there's something different here in this story. Jesus doesn't respond to this woman right away. Notice also, too, the disciples, they appear to chime in. It says, Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. Well, the apostles themselves, they want nothing to do with this woman. You know, she's bothering them. She's probably very persistent. She keeps calling out after Jesus. Now, notice his response. Jesus said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that's very odd, isn't that? Here, this woman has a daughter who's suffering from a very critical illness. Why not help her? 
you know, he's helped so many other people. Now, granted, she's a Canaanite, which means she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. But it doesn't make a difference for Jesus. Throughout all four of the Gospels, he cares whether Jew or Gentile. Now, what does the woman do next? And this is very interesting. It says, The woman came and did Jesus homage, saying, Lord, help me. What does that mean, to do him homage? Well, in the ancient world, it means to give the person reverence and respect. How do you do that? Well, you kneel at the feet of the person. So this woman is probably kneeling right at Jesus' feet. But what is she really doing? Well, she's blocking his way. Jesus now can't ignore her. She's right in front of him. Not only that, but she's making eye contact with him as she says, Lord, help me. Now, this is an incredible scene. Here, this woman has repeatedly calling out to Jesus. He first ignores her. The apostles go to him and say, you know, get her out of here. Put her off. And now she runs around and she kneels right before him, blocking his way. Well, if he wants to get around her, he's got to step around her, but at least he's got to acknowledge her. Again, in all the Gospels, Jesus immediately responds to the plea of any person, especially to be cured. So this is very strange. Now notice how Jesus responds here. He says, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Now this is incredible. It seems so out of character for Jesus and what he's saying and what he's doing with this woman. First, it appears that he ignores her. He gives her the cold shoulder. He doesn't really care to do anything about her. Next, the apostles tell Jesus, you know, get rid of her. We can't stand her nagging. So they indirectly insult the woman. Finally, Jesus, by making this derogatory remark about the dogs, he directly insults the woman. And yet, notice what she does. Notice her great response. It says, she said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. Well, you can only picture Jesus saying that with a great smile on his face. And yet, again, it seems so out of character, so strange for Jesus to act this way. Jesus seems to really treat this woman a different way, far from the way he treats any others. Now, go back to that original interpretation that my parish priest once said. You know, Jesus, he's like us. He's just having a bad day. He's in a bad mood. And he's fed up with this woman. He just wants to get rid of her. Well, is that really a good interpretation? I really don't think so. The interpretation that I gravitate to is Jesus is testing this woman. Yes, he's testing her and her faith. Now, we don't like to hear that. In fact, that's a sharp comment. We don't like to hear that God tests us, that he plays around with us. But stay with that theme of testing. The more you study the Bible, the more you see that on display. Great example of that. Turn to Genesis with Abraham. Abraham, you could say, is tested in the most harshest way. There's a classic scene. 
God calls out to Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. And then God says, Isaac, I want you to sacrifice him for me. Abraham then says to the Lord, you know, this is my only son. You promised him to me. He was supposed to be a blessing. In fact, you promised that through him, a great nation would blossom forever. The Lord says, yeah, I know I promised you that, but I want him back. So you have to sacrifice him to me. And there's that gut-wrenching scene. Abraham and Isaac, they march towards Mount Moriah, where the sacrifice must take place. All the while, Abraham knows what he must do, but Isaac is completely oblivious to it. They climb the mountain, and then there's that climactic scene where Abraham ties Isaac's feet and hand and lays him down on the altar, and then takes a knife and is about to sacrifice him. An angel immediately grabs his arm, and God says, Now I see the quality of your faith. God was testing Abraham. How about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham? All night long wrestles with an angel, and in doing so, awakens something in him, great faith, whereas now he becomes the next leader of the Israelite nation. It was a test for him. How about Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham? Sold into slavery by his own brothers, accused of a crime he never committed, he spends seven years in Egyptian prison. It was a period of testing, and yet afterwards, he had great faith. And so, God does test us, especially those that are close to him. So you say to yourself, well, why? Why does he do this to us? I think Cardinal John Henry Newman gives us the greatest answer to that question. He says, things by opposition grow. Things by opposition grow. Great example of this, lifting weights. You know, Many of us have lifted weights before. Well, you start out with light weights so you don't hurt yourself. But if you're still lifting those same weights, six months later, your muscles are never going to grow. How will they grow? By adding more weight. See, it's by adding more weight, the muscle's resistance or pushing up against that weight, do your muscles actually develop and grow. Take a child. A child, a little girl or boy, naturally gifted athlete. They have great talents and skills. Well, how do you develop those talents and skills? Well, you put that child up against tougher competition. Great example of this is Tiger Woods. When Tiger was a little boy, his dad entered him to many golf tournaments, and yet Tiger never played with other children the same age. His dad made sure that Tiger always played with bigger, stronger, and older kids. Why? Because he knew every time he went into a tournament, he would be challenged. And by being challenged, it would make him stronger. It would hone his talents and abilities. And it worked. He became the greatest golfer we've probably ever seen. How about a child that is gifted with music? He start out with simple melodies. They take to it quickly, good. But after six months, if that child is still playing those simple melodies, well, their talent is wasted. But a good teacher will progressively make the music more difficult so as to strengthen that person's or that child's gifts. 
So that by 12 years old, the child now is playing Beethoven's simple works. By 18, now they're playing Bach's more difficult pieces. See, it's in that testing that we become stronger. And it's precisely the most talented or the closest to God you know, that are tested. And in that testing, in that resistance, we become stronger. Well, try to then think of this in terms of the spiritual life. Why should our relationship with God be any different? Why is it so hard for us to imagine that God sometimes tests us to strengthen our faith? Again, things by opposition grow. Now, with that in mind, go back into the gospel. It begins to make more sense in which Jesus is treating this woman. How does Jesus deal with this woman? Exactly the way he deals with all people. Jesus finds a person with faith, this woman, and this woman does have faith. And he raises that faith up. He strengthens it. Now, we know this woman has faith. If she didn't have faith, she never would have come to Christ, nor would she be so persistent. She truly thinks and believes with all of her heart that Christ and only Christ can heal her daughter. So there is her faith. And yet she encounters resistance. First, through Jesus appearing to ignore her, then the disciples telling Jesus to get rid of her, and then finally Jesus making that derogatory comment about her. Now, if her faith was weak, she would have given up and walked away. But it was precisely in that struggle, in that resistance, that her faith became even more stronger. That's why Jesus acknowledges it at the very end. He says, O woman, how great is your faith. Now, there's two people in all of the Gospels that Jesus publicly proclaims this. It's this woman and the Roman centurion whose slave he cures. He never says this to any of the apostles, that their faith is so great. But to this woman, he does. That's a great lesson for us all. You know, it's the age-old question, why does God make us wait to answer our prayers? Well, this is the reason why. Because it's precisely in that struggle, in that resistance, that our faith grows all the more stronger. Does Jesus want us to stay at the same level of faith? No. Instead, just like this woman, he enters into our life. He sees our faith. And what does he do? Sometimes he tests us for the express purpose of raising our faith up, for strengthening our faith. Strongly encourage you, take some time this week, reread this gospel, put yourself in the place of this woman, and then allow Jesus Christ to say to you, how great is your faith? And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.